Well, you guys ought to count yourself lucky because you're going to get a secret key to this text that no one else will have next Sunday. <laughs> oh, just kidding. Chapter 3, Ephesians, first 13 verses. Chapter 3, 1 through 13. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which is given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery as I wrote before in brief. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations has not been made known to the sons of men, as it has been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel, of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace is given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of that mystery which for the ages has been hidden in God who created all things, so that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in heavenly places. That was in accordance to the eternal purpose that he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confidence, access through faith in him. Therefore, I ask you not to lose heart in my tribulations on your behalf, for they are your glory. Father, we come now and I ask that uh, you open our eyes. As the Apostle Paul twice now has prayed that the hearers of this letter, the receivers of this letter, would know what is being said. Be overwhelmed by it with great joy and gratitude. But Father, that we who are called by your name in the year of 2018 would bow our knees before you in pure joy of what you're doing. Father, it's troubling times. But Father, throughout history, it has been troubling times. Help us to stand. Help us to grab a hold of this with confidence and boldness that the Apostle speaks of. And that, Father, we would understand it's accordance to the eternal purpose which was carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the Apostle to the Gentiles. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, I shared with you last week kind of a, an overview of uh, what we're going to be dealing with in these 13 verses. I call this as the mystery revealed. And I shared with you in Deuteronomy 29 last week that there are some things God don't give us. He doesn't give us the answers to. He doesn't give us the plan to. Now, you will get those when you see him face to face. Now, whether he doesn't give it because we can't handle it, or it'd be too fearful, or whatever his reason is, it is his reason. When we stand in his presence, then Paul has already told us in 1 Corinthians, then we will know as we are 
known. Okay? So, there are some things that God just doesn't give us. There are other things that were given to the prophets, the Old Testament. And even those were not understood completely by the prophets. They were given, they spoke on behalf of God, and they left it at that. But then there is the New Testament. And we have the apostles and prophets, and there were many mysteries have been given to us through that. And it's funny because in this day and age, everybody seems to be curious about the second coming. And I keep thinking, but what about all the mysteries he's already given us? And yet we worry about, listen, I don't understand why there's a big concern about it. He said he's coming back, so therefore, he's coming back. And as I read it, and my great understanding of theology, when he comes back, everybody will know. (laughs) It ain't going to be a big secret. This is it. I can tell. Why? Because everything went out. And there was one great light, and that was Jesus. So that must be the second coming. Eh? That doesn't seem like it would be that difficult to understand. All right. What we're looking at in the first three chapters of this letter is basically theology. Okay. The study of God. And you know what? Once we get that. Now, I want to try to hammer this home because the Apostle Paul does. Each and every believer must get this. Okay, it isn't a matter where the pastor understands it and I'll just follow him. That ain't the way this thing works. That just ain't the way it works. Each of us. Because once you individually have this, then that's what will affect your practice, your walk. You know what happens? You start looking different than the lost people. How interesting. That's kind of an awesome concept if you think about it. Each of us need this. But each of us must be at a place that this theology is alive in you. Listen, I I, I mentioned this in Sunday school. I've mentioned it before. My faith cannot save my children. Can't do it. But you know what's really weird? My faith can't save you. Your faith saves you. All right. And then I'm going to ask the second question. How confident are you in what you know? We all see the action of what we know. Each of us need this. Listen, without scripture... Each of us will do what is right in our own eyes. That's the whole book of Judges. If you don't have scripture, then you can make it up as you go. And you know what? I've been in this town long enough and I've been involved with the community of believers in this town long enough that there are very few. Okay. Whether it's leadership Well, if the leadership ain't got it figured out, the congregation hasn't got it figured out. Okay? But there are very few who have an understanding, uh, the biblical understanding of what the body of Christ is. And that's sad. Especially 2,000 years out, you'd think it's somewhere in there. And the reason is, there are a lot of people 
who take the name Christian, who are without the authority of the Word of God. They are without the principles of the Word of God. They are without the directions of the Word of God. They are without the mind that is renewed by the Word of God. And they were are without a diligence to the Word of God. And you can look at their lives and their lives are troubling. If you commit to the Word, okay, each and every one of you, if you will absorb it, all right? And listen, I can tell you exactly how it works. You start sitting down reading it, the first thing you're going to think of is, I can't understand this. And then you'll get a little farther into trying to absorb it and sitting down and committing to it. And then you'll want to debate it. Then you continue to press on and your reading of the Word of God to absorb the Word of God. And guess what? The Holy Spirit of God will use that information and renew your mind. But it starts off with, I don't understand this. Okay, you know, it's like I used to be an electrician and you get a new construction, you got this panel, you stick on the wall. And then as you're wiring the house or whatever it is you're wiring, you'd bring a wire. One wire would end up coming all the way back to that panel. Okay, and then you get another circuit and you'd come back to that panel. You'd come back to that panel, come back to that panel. And eventually all the wiring in the house is tied together and comes from the power source that is in that panel. Now, all of a sudden, one day, you look at it, you got this nice empty panel sitting there minding its own business, and then the next day, you go cruising out there, and you look at it, and this thing is full of wires. And it's a mess. It looks like a rat's nest. Okay? And the average person would come by and look at that and go, well, how do you know what that is? Well, each wire is a circuit. To where? Well, it depends on the gauge. If it's a 12 gauge, that's high, that's a 20 amp circuit. 14 gauge, hey, you know what that is? It's a lighting circuit, outlet circuit. If it's a great big wire, it's probably for the oven or the range. Or, or it can be, uh, for the dryer. Or it might be a well. But you got to where you can look at it because you did it and you did it piece by piece by piece. It's like, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. How do you devour the Word of God? One bite at a time. And then you realize, I can't understand this. And then you get to the point where it starts coming together. And then your immediate response is to debate it. And then you keep pushing on. And the Holy Spirit of God will renew you with it. And then one day you'll wake up and realize that your life is different. It is not like the rest of the world. You have, to use our terminology today, you have been reprogrammed. You have a new operating system. Before Christ, you had data in and you brought data out. Now that you're a Christian, guess what? You need new data. Okay, and you know, it's really this simple. I can ask it in one little silly question. What captures your thinking? 
What captures your thinking? I mean, you turn on the news channel and sit there and go, wow, man, this world is kind of goofy. And then you can sit and dwell on it, and the more you dwell on it, guess what? You'll start acting goofy. Because all of a sudden it starts making sense. Or you can be sports. I mean, go look at some of the goofy stuff that they've got on TV now, how to remodel your house. I got news for you. Them people are lying. You cannot remodel a house in an hour. I don't care who you are. I don't care how big a hammer you get. You ain't going to get it done. And you know what I never understood on these remodeling shows? How's come I always have dust and they don't ever have dust? What's up with that? How do they do that with a dust-free environment? Anytime I bust up drywall, I got a mess. But you look at all this stuff that is out there, and that's what the world is feeding on. And I'm sitting there going, but there ain't none of this is legit. What is it that we think on? What is it? Listen, before I even moved into this letter, however long ago that was, I began to hope and pray that you would set yourselves down and absorb the principles of the theology that is in this. The divine truth that is in these first three chapters. God's truth in these first three chapters. And you know what happens? It will begin to capture your thinking. That's amazing to me. Listen... When you start absorbing the theology that is in the scriptures, you'll realize that when you start to sin, that information will act as a barrier. But when you do something right, it'll motivate you to do more right. And all of a sudden you start getting this great comfort that is beyond people. You don't even need attaboys anymore. Why? I did what the Word said to do. Read that Vance Havner quote that's in your bulletin. Read that thing. There are so many that I see in the body of Christ that are willing to exhort you to do things in your life without giving you the principles that change your thinking. They just tell you to do it. You know, it's like... uh, I, the first, I've been to Russia a number of times, and I, I remember going to Russia. One of my trips here, that guy that was uh, <laughs> down in Colorado Springs that made all the news, they were hearing about it in, in Russia. And their question to me was, how does that happen? How can you have a man in that position... And that happened. And I tried to explain it to him. And then something dawned on me that the American church is completely clueless of. Okay. Somehow that moved into divorce. You know, is his wife going to divorce him and things like that? I remember talking because the guy was uh, the regional pastor for a huge region. And he says... There is no divorce in the church in Russia. I was like, nah, 
That's crazy. He said, no, there is no divorce. And I said, how in the world is there no divorce in the church in Russia? He said, well, it's simple. We don't let them date. I was like, what? I mean, you date. What? No, they don't date. I said, like, they don't date? He said, no. If a guy and a girl are interested in each other, then they'll meet in the youth group and we keep, an, keep them under guard to protect them. And they don't see anybody outside of the church. You will never. If, if a Christian tries to get involved with an unbeliever, they're kicked out of the church. So they don't, they don't date. I had two translators that are thinking about getting married. Okay. Beautiful couple. Wonderful kids. I mean, and they are kids, but just, they're wonderful. I was getting ready to leave in the evening. I was leaving about 1130 or midnight from Oriel to take the train back to Moscow. Okay. And so I was getting my stuff together and I was talking to Valeri. His broken English, my broken Russian is comical. All right. And, and he kept doing this. And it was cold. It was rainy and foggy. And it's just a miserable night. And I said, uh, why do you keep looking at your watch? I said, are, are we here too early or what? And uh, he says, no, Anna and Misha want to see you. And I was like, well, you know, I was at the church you know, and they said, well, they wanted to come and say goodbye to you at the at the train station. I was like, all right. They says, well, they had to find a married couple to escort them to the train station to see me off. And I said, why? He says, well, it's not safe for them to be alone. But guess what? And they showed up, and I love them to death. I still stay in contact with them. Yeah, and they got married. They were actually trying to get me to come and do the wedding. I said, well, it would be kind of really goofy because you would know what I'm saying, and nobody else in the church would. <laughs> and it would be hard to do a wedding with you interpreting what I'm saying, and you're taking your vows. And I just said, oh, that sounds odd to me. Okay? But you know what? There's no divorce in the church. We look at that and we think, wow, that's crazy. Yeah. Who's being protected? Why do we do that? It's for protection. Well, I don't need protection. I can really now. Really? Really? You believe that? Then you're a greater fool than I ever thought you were. It don't work. I've never seen it work. So, when we are without the authority of Scripture, we're going to do what is right in our own eyes. How many exhort us to do things, but they don't give us the principles that help us to change our thinking? 
you would be dependent on people to tell you what to do. Now think about that for a second. If you've got a believer who's being tantalized by an unbeliever, who are you following? Well, I'm strong enough. Really? Really? You know what you just told me? You've never read your Bible. Corinthians tells us that corrupt morals corrupt good morals. Now, if it says that in the Bible, what do you think the odds of you being able to overcome it are? See what I'm trying to get at? That's what the book says and the authority of the book and the direction of the book. And yet we are doing what is right in our own eyes. You know, I see it in the political arena. Everybody keeps saying, well, what about it? What about it? You know what? What do you expect natural man to do? I don't understand why we're surprised about this. Uh, maybe, maybe that's that flaw I have. I love history. I mean, I can go back through history for a long time. It says, look at here, look at here, look at here, look at here. Oh, wait. We did this in the 1900s. Oh, wait. No, we did that in the Civil War. No, wait. We did that in the Revolution. Oh, no, wait. Oh, no, wait. We did that in the Greek. We, no, wait. There ain't nothing changed. Okay? And so I have this book here. I have gifted people around me in... And yet I watch the people today in the United States, they won't read their Bible. They do not renew their minds. So they're operating on an old system. Listen, it's, it's just one of these things. It's just simple. You hear somebody preach or teach or whatever it is, right? They come up. They say they've got a degree from such and such. They've done this, they've done that, da, 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 and all the rest of it. Let me ask you a question. How do you know what they're saying is true? In the New Testament, the apostles could do miracles. You know why? They didn't have a Bible of the New Testament. They were in the process of writing it. Now that they've written it, how do we know with what the person is telling me is true? Does it line up with that? I made a comment in the Sunday school class this morning that there are times when I'll be listening to somebody and I'll say, and where is that in the Bible? And they know what I'm saying. I, you know, it's one of those, you just made that up. <laughs> you know what it is. Listen. Learning the Word of God will protect you. And you know what happens? As I learn the Word of God, then I will walk on my own. Let me show you something. This is really good today. 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 2 and 3 says this. Like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the Word... So that by it you may grow in respect to your salvation if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. You know what he just said? If you're saved, then you should be as a newborn babe filling up on what? 
the word of the Lord. Why? So that you will grow in your salvation. My uh, grandson, they got this video thing that you can do. And I watch him and, oh my God, I praise God that he's doing that to his mother. Oh, am I allowed to say that? <laughs> oh, well. I mean, he is. I told her, she says, I'm waiting for him to walk. He can walk now. How do you like that? Huh? <laughs> That's good, isn't it? It's facing when all of a sudden, it's quiet. And he's got this tremendous fascination with unrolling the toilet paper roll. And he does it very quickly. And uh, I'm going to see him here in July. And I'm going to show him how he can stick it down the back of his diaper and take off down the hall. <laughs> I like to assist in every way possible that they may grow in the respects of their salvation. Christians should be as newborn babes wanting to do. You know, listen, I, I, you got to get this. You need to grow in respect of your salvation. Here's what I mean by that. You need to grow in respect to your salvation. You need to do this. Okay? Because... It isn't like, all right, everybody give me your Bibles before you leave. We don't let them go outside of the building. No, you take them with them so that you may grow in it. Why? Because you got your hands full. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14 and following. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone, see that no one repays another with evil for evil, but in always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, how are you going to do that if you have no idea what this book says? How are you going to do that? I'd like to know how you're going to admonish the unruly. How are you going to do that? How are you going to encourage the faint-hearted? How are you going to help the weak? How are you going to be patient with anyone? The first three chapters of Ephesians is theology so that you may be able to do this. And you know what I like about that text right there I just gave you out of 1 Thessalonians 5? That doesn't say pastors. That say believers. It is each and every one of yours responsibilities to do this. But if you haven't done what Peter said as newborn babe, grow in regards to your salvation, then all you are is a clanging, noisy, yeah, whatever. Think up a term. Okay, now I want to go back to our text here, chapter 3 of Ephesians. I want to show you something. He is hammering this thing that we are one. Okay? We are one. And he's given us theology so that we will walk in it. He's telling us, what our position before God is. That's the first two, first three chapters. We are one. Now, Paul is about to pray. Why? He's just given you chapter two. And that there is meat and potatoes. And he says, boy, I pray that you knuckleheads get this. 
He prays that they'll understand. Why? I am giving you an amazing mystery. Jew and Gentile together. The barriers are gone. The dividing wall has been torn down. We are one in Christ. This is beyond human understanding. This is beyond human comprehension. So the only thing the Apostle Paul knows he can do is pray. Okay? Listen, all Christians in perfect harmony. Now think about that just a second. That's what Paul's teaching you. Positionally, you're in perfect harmony with every Christian. Every one of them. All the hatreds are gone. All the animosities are gone. All the prejudices are gone. All that which separates us is gone. All those barriers are gone. And yet, we are bound and determined to do what? Put up some barriers. So, Paul... Knowing that, he wants to pray. Look what he says in verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Okay? He really wants to pray. He wants them to understand. But before he gets into his prayer, he wants to give a little more information for them to understand. And that's what he does in 1 through 13. He gets started. See what he does right there? For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. He gets started. Then it's like, he stops. And he goes back in verse 2 to share more of the truth of this mystery of the body of Christ. The oneness that is the body of Christ. More specifics. Great understandings. And by the time you get to verse 14, he begins to pray. You look at it, you say, okay, this mystery revealed in these first 13 verses, that there's a prisoner of the mystery, there's a plan for the mystery, there's a preaching of the mystery, there's the purpose of the mystery, and there's the privilege of the mystery. The prisoner. For this reason, is the New American Standard, for this cause. Okay, for this reason, for this cause. What's he referring to? That's easy. Chapter 2, verse 15, one new man. Chapter 2, verse 16, one body. Chapter 2, verse 17, you are now near, you were afar. Verse 18, You have access by one spirit. Verse 19, you are fellow citizens. You are of the household of God. Verse 20, you are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Verse 20, you are a building of that foundation of the prophets. Verse 21, a building that grows into the holy temple of the Lord. Verse 22, you are built together for the habitation of God in the spirit. That's the reason. For this cause. The fact that we are one building. Built on one foundation. Built in one household. One kingdom. One spirit in us. One body. One new man. Because of that unity. I Paul the prisoner. For you Gentiles. You know what's really cool in verse 1? 
This is interesting. This is, bit, this is good stuff here. You know what's really cool in verse 1? There's no verb. Makes for an odd sentence if you think about it. You know why? What he says in verse 1, he finishes in verse 14. Okay, look at this. It's really cool if you think about it. Verse 1, for this reason. What's verse 14 start with? For this reason. But then he hangs the verb on it. I bow my knees. Basically, the implication there is I pray for you. Okay? So the verb that you're looking for in verse 1 shows up in verse 14. I bow my knees. I pray. But in the middle, it's almost like it's a parenthesis. He starts out to pray for you Gentiles. I, Paul, prisoner of Christ Jesus. For you Gentiles. I bow my knees before the Father. Verse 14. It's almost like he puts that out there and then he says, wait. I can't pray. I want to bow my knee for this reason. Well, all that stuff I just gave you out of chapter 2. For this cause. I want you to be sure you get it. Okay? The prayer actually doesn't even begin until verse 16. But that's the reason he bows his knees. I pray... They work this truth out. I pray this truth will change their lives. But he stops. He's wanting them to understand this truth. Verses 2 through 13. He says, let me explain it again. You know what's amazing to me about this? He repeats what you've already looked at in chapter 2. He's repeating it. He's repeating what he's already written. You ever wondered why? I can tell you why. Really simple. How do you learn? I mean, if you're one of those people that are sitting out there that has a photogenic memory, I read it once and I know it, you're sick. No. <laughs> That's purely opinion. I'm not one of these people who can read it once and, oh yeah, I got that one now. How do I do it? I do it like Isaiah said. I do it line upon line. Line upon line. Precept upon precept. Precept upon precept. A little here, a little there. Over and over and over. That's how I learned. Now, if you don't do it, then me and Isaiah are just oddballs. But I guarantee you that most of us, that's how we do it. We all learn from repetition. You can't apply what you don't comprehend. Right? 
And you know what? That's basic to spiritual life. I have to keep repeating it over and over and over and over. Romans chapter 2 or chapter 12 verse 2 says the mind has to be renewed daily. And in some cases, moment by moment. I looked at the things uh, as I was kind of pulling this thing together yesterday. Uh, see, I have a big stack of notes and then I kind of whittle it down. You don't want all of my notes. Trust me. Okay, you, you need to understand that right now through chapter 3, I have almost 600 pages of legal notes written on this. You want me to go get them? Okay, you got time? So I whittle it down on Saturdays. And I was going through this. And it was so apparent to me that we do it by repetition. And we have to know it to live it. Now listen, it doesn't mean your pastor has to know it. It means you have to know it. I can tell you, we're, we're, our budget is short. We need some major work here at the building. And I can tell you that. Okay? But I'm not going to ask you, now can you give me your tax records so I can tell you how much you should be giving me? No, man. I want you to know it. Because if you know it, then guess what? Then you do it. It's based on your confidence, not on my confidence. If you come and are exposed to the principles of the Word of God, the activities will take care of themselves. It's never failed me. Back to verse 1. And I'll wrap it up here because I'm just laying this out because we're going to be looking... I don't know if I can do it in two Sundays or not, but the prisoner of the mystery. The prisoner of the mystery, this prisoner for the Gentiles. And then he states it there. I, Paul. You know what? (laughs) Do you realize how indebted to the Apostle Paul Each and every one of us is. You ever thought about that? How indebted to Paul. Now I hang out. I spend a lot of time with Paul. I probably spend more time with Paul than I do anybody. And I'm indebted to the Apostle Paul. He wrote at least 13 of the New Testament books. You know how many there are? 27. Now, some think that he wrote Hebrews. If that's true, then he wrote 14 of the New Testament books. I personally don't think he wrote Hebrews. Uh, you, it's on the internet. I taught on Hebrews. You'll have to go back there and find out what I said. <laughs> I can tell you why. Paul always quoted the Hebrewic text of the Old Testament. That's how he quoted it. In the book of Hebrews, all the Hebrewic text is, t- is quoted out of the Septuagint which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. So, that's kind of thin if you think about it, but it's the best I could come up with. 
God used him more than anyone else to reveal the mystery. To unveil this. To reveal this. The, you know, you could call him the apostle of the mystery. He was into this one thing. I mean, he was seriously into it. Think about it. Ephesians, he speaks of one. Colossians, he speaks of one. Galatians, he speaks of one. First Corinthians, he speaks of one. He preaches of one. He was a prisoner of Jesus Christ, he says. Of Christ Jesus. Now, when I read that, I, you know, I've been reading this book, this letter every day for years now. And it never dawned on me until about two weeks ago. Okay? It says, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus. Where was he when he wrote this letter? Actually, he was in a house chained to a Roman soldier. House arrest, whatever. He's chained to a soldier. He's in a house and he's in Rome. You know, people say, well, he's not in a jail cell. Listen, captive is captive. (laughs) I mean, you you chain me up to another human being. uh, I'm not going to really feel that free. He was a prisoner because of this truth. He was a prisoner for preaching this mystery revealed. Now, you know, you sit there and say, well, okay, all right, that's, that's right. Well, let me get you, see if I can get your head screwed on here for a second. Try this on for a minute. When he wrote this letter to the church in Ephesus, do you know how long he had been a prisoner? I do. Five years. Got that? I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, for five years. Remember in verse 13? Therefore, I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations. Why? I've been chained to a Roman soldier for five years. He had been preaching Christ and Christ alone, Jew and Gentile, Greek and barbarian. And he did it in Jerusalem. They tried to kill him. He said, hey, wait, 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 you can't kill me. I'm a Roman citizen. They took him down to Caesarea so that the Jews didn't sneak in and take his life. And he spent two years chained in Caesarea. Then he got on that wonderful boat trip. Remember that one? Waves crashing, everything going. And he says, oh, don't worry. We're going to lose everything, but nobody's going to die. Oh, golly, I feel better. And he finally made it to Rome. And he's three more years in Rome. At the writing of this letter. I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He was arrested That Jew and Gentile are one in Christ. And he's been chained for five years for that message. You know what? 
I'm indebted to him. I'm indebted to him. So I want you to think about this. We're going to close now. Why would you put up barriers if the Apostle Paul is willing to go to prison because there are no barriers? See? What you're thinking. That's why he repeats it. Because it's so abstract to the human mind that I want you guys to get it. And I've already begun praying for you in Christ. Father, we come before you. And I thank you for my brother Paul. And the reason that he was a prisoner of Christ Jesus. For me, a Gentile. Father. Make this known to us. There are no barriers. The body of Christ is united. We have uh, no animosities, no prejudice, no hatred. Help us, Father. Help us to stand in the glory of this wonderful truth. Help us to be overwhelmed. In Christ's precious name, amen.